Thanks for joining us today. This is Kevin Mullins, pastor at Broad River Church, and we're really grateful that you checked us out. If this message has been inspiring to you, we hope that you visit our website at broadriver.church, and you can go to the plan a visit page and see if there's a time that you could visit Broad River Church in person. You also can give at that same webpage, and you can check us out also on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Broad River Church. We hope this message is a blessing to you. everybody. So glad to see all of you. Thanks for being here this morning. I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 10, the gospel of John chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verse 7. That's on page 896. If you are using the blue Bibles that are down there in front of you, if you're on the front row, the blue Bibles are behind you, page 896. Tenemos traductores al español disponibles. Si usted necesita uno, por favor, levante su mano. Uh, I wanted to tell you about one thing before we jump in. This coming Wednesday begins the season of Lent. The season of Lent is uh, 40 days. It's actually more than 40 days, but it's complicated. 40 days leading, leading up till Easter, um, a time of reflection, which I'll talk about. But to kick that off, we are going to have a prayer gathering here, 6 o'clock in the morning. Everybody say, that's early. That's early. 6 a.m. We'll be praying here this coming Wednesday. Uh, to kick off into Ash Wednesday, and then immediately following that, and this is not for everybody, I know people have work commitments in the morning, Um, I'm going to be going over to join my uh, fellow pastor here in town, his name is Keith Welch at the Church of the Nazarene, you may remember him, he did, uh, he preached John Higgins' ordination service, he has an Ash Wednesday service that goes about 45 minutes, so I'm going to go over there, anybody that would like to go over there with me, um, we'll just drive over, it's right on Main Street, about four minutes from here, very simple to get there and kind of enjoy some fellowship with them. So that's an invitation. Again, I know that that's not good for everybody based on, uh, on, on your calendars, but anybody that can would love to have you here at six o'clock in the morning and then joining us at Church of the Nazarene at seven o'clock. Uh, my wife likes tattoos. Why don't you show this picture here? My wife likes tattoos a lot. Now, I was raised, uh, I was raised in a non-tattoo house. It should be your first picture there, yeah. I was raised in a non-tattoo house. Tattoos really kind of aren't my jam, really. But, uh, but I love my wife, so she kept asking me over and over again, you have to get a tattoo. If you really want to be cool, you have to have a tattoo, she told me. Now, I didn't ever believe her, uh, but... I love her very much. So about 10 years ago, I got this particular word tattooed on my body. It's, uh, it's on my back, and no, I know there's going to be a public outcry, but I'm not taking off my shirt this morning. Uh, we're trying to add members to our church, trying to add members to our church, not, not go their direction, right? But this is a really important word to me. It's the Greek word eudaimonia. Eudaimonia, which is the word that philosophers way back since Plato have used to describe the good life. Eudaimonia is a description of the life that is happy, the life that is contented. It's, it's the life that is flourishing. It's the life that we want and, and the life that we dream about. It's what we want for, for our kids. 
Uh, what, what do we say about people we love, right? You'll, you'll hear somebody about something, saying something about somebody they love, said, all I want is for them to be what? Happy, right? It's what we want of ourself, for ourselves, but what does that really mean? What does it mean to have a flourishing, happy life? Uh, for those of you who choose to be here at Broad River Church, what, what is our purpose here? We, we, we gather to worship the God who created us, and when we read the scripture, it's clear, hear this, that as we gather, as we worship God, God is forming us and shaping us into something new. And what is that new life that God offers? What does it look like when that life flourishes? So we are beginning a new series today called This Burden is Light. This Burden is Light. And I think it may be the most important series of sermons that God has given us since we've become pastors here. I've been preparing since late last year for these weeks that are leading up to Easter. We're entering into the season of Lent, as I mentioned, on Wednesday, which Uh, The season of Lent is a time of journeying with Jesus as Jesus journeyed toward the cross. It's a time for reflection. It's a time for repentance. And I believe that God is going to use these next few weeks to turn some things upside down in our lives. Or maybe better to say it, to turn things right side up. Listen, God's kingdom, everybody hear this, is a reverse kingdom. God's economy is a reverse economy. And so I want to invite you into discovering what it looks like to turn your lives right side up so that you can live the life God intended for us. Today is just a setup for the weeks to come. Everybody say, this is a setup. All right. So there are four accounts of Jesus's life here on earth. They've been called the gospels. Gospel means good news. And we're going to read from the fourth story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. John chapter 10, and we'll read verses 7 through 10. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come, I came, that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. I pray that you speak to us today in Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you've ever been, if you live in Norwalk, to the East Norwalk Historical Cemetery, but if you go there you would, and look around a little bit, you would see this gravestone here. Now, this is Thomas J. Fitch, um, who is the great, 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 great grandson of Colonel Thomas Fitch, who was the governor of... Connecticut, but way before he was governor of Connecticut, he was a lieutenant in the Revolutionary Army, and it was said about him that he is the person, he came riding into town with some of his, uh, his fellow soldiers, and evidently they looked uh, pretty fancy, and so somebody said they, they were going to call him Macaroni, so that he was, he was the person the song Yankee Doodle was penned for. Now, 
This, if you go to his gravestone, it's right there on the gravestone. And so this is what is commonly said about him. Now, I didn't take a picture of his gravestone because it's so old, you can barely see it. I took one of his great, 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 great grandson there. And if you, if you look at that, I'm, I'm one of these people who enjoy goes, going to graveyards, okay? Now, I, I'll just say it. I, I, now, it's nothing, I don't go late at night and I don't... I don't light candles and say weird things or anything, but I do, I do enjoy going. I went to, uh, in, when I was in Paris, I got to go and see uh, where Jim Morrison is buried and, and Napoleon is buried. And I enjoyed visiting the, the graveyards in New Orleans, which is a pretty incredible place to visit graveyards. And recently, when I was with my family, we were in Boston. But if you walk around the graveyard, you'll notice some things like... like a few things that stand out, like some people died really, really young. Did you notice that's here? He was how old? Right, 22, right? So some people, you'll notice some people died really young. You'll, you'll notice that husbands and wives are often buried next to each other. But if you look at the dates, you'll see almost always that one died before the other. So you might spend some time, I do this kind of thing, imagining what those years apart were like. I like to imagine what life was like for people that lived in the 1800s or in the case of Colonel Tom Fitch in the 1700s. But almost in all cases, there are two dates on the stone. You can see that on the bottom here. The date of their birth, the date of their death. And in between those dates, you'll always see this little tiny dash. This little tiny mark that represents the entirety of their life on earth. Their whole life on earth is represented by that tiny, small mark. And the question I I want you to consider as we get this vision for the kind of life that Jesus invites us into this morning is what will your dash be? What are the things that make for a great dash? I believe down deep inside of everyone here, there is a desire. I believe it's the reason why you're here. There is a desire to live that dash well. I think it's why you're here. We want to take all of these scattered moments of our lives, the highs and the lows, and bring them all together for something beautiful and meaningful. Do you agree with that? And and if you were to draw that dash out longer and kind of mark the moments that have shaped your story so far, what would that story along that dash look like? I think if you looked at that dash drawn out over a long period of time, you would see lots of contrast. You'd see the truth of what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10. He said, there is a thief that comes to our lives only to steal and kill and destroy. But he said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Leave that verse up there. Please hear this this morning. Your story is not a neutral one. Let me say this a different way. Your story is a contested story. There is a conflict going on in you between a world that wants to make you a slave and a God that wants to make you free. I want everyone to hear this today. I I want our students that are very close to going off to college this next year to hear this. I I want people who are at midlife, who are trying to decide if they're going to settle for life the way it has been to this day. I want you to hear this today. Your story is not a neutral one. It is contested. This is a big part of this sermon series over the few weeks to come. I I think if you examine your dash, 
you'll find that there are forces at work that have bent your life this way and that way, and sometimes those forces, hear me this morning, have bent your life outside of the plan and the purpose that you feel called to. William Irvine has a name for this. He's a Christian philosopher. He has a name for this being bent outside of your purpose. He calls it misliving. He calls it misliving. Look at what he says, and this is a long quote, but just lean in with me as I read it. He says, there is a danger that you will mislive. That despite all your activity, despite all the pleasant diversions you might have enjoyed while alive, you will end up living a bad life. It's hard to hear. There is, in other words, a danger that when you are on your deathbed, you will look back and realize that you wasted your one chance at living. Instead of spending your life pursuing something genuinely valuable, you squandered it because you allowed yourself to be distracted by the various baubles life has to offer. Now, you might not know what a bobble is. It's this old English word. That's, it's a word for like a little cheap trinket or a, a really inexpensive toy. It's kind of flashy, but it's cheap, and it breaks really easy. And I know, I know this, this is a heavy thought to consider, and it's one that I do want you to consider for yourself as we enter into this time leading up to Easter where we will celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and what that resurrection means for us here and now, I want you to use this time to examine you. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to see how other people's lives are turning out badly? Right, that's easy, right? You can look, look, at, oh, look, at, look at their divorce that they're expending. Look at that, that abuse that's, that's going on. Look at how they are breaking other people's hearts. Look at how their heart's being broken. Look at, the, look at how greedy they are. Look at how materialistic they are. We can see other people misliving really easily, but many times we can't see the ways that we are misliving. We get taken by surprise by, by this or that, but we don't recognize how those things are shaping us. Listen, I want you to hear me this morning. You are right now being shaped into who you will be for eternity. Who you will be forever, and forever means longer than when you pass from this life. God makes this clear to us today. Please make it clear to us. Following Jesus is not just about becoming a good moral person. Following Jesus is not just about knowing all the right things about the Bible. It's not about just the, the new disciplines that you add to your life or how you reach up to, out to others. Following Jesus is about living well. It's about learning how to live in his way in the world. And his way is a way that produces new fruit in our lives. We're going to be looking at that fruit over the next few weeks. This is a setup, you remember? Did you notice what Jesus calls himself in verse 7 and then again in verse 9? Could you put that up there, verse 7 up there? He says, he's talking about himself and he says, I am the door of the sheep. Who are the sheep, by the way? Right? I, I had this, uh, this lady that cuts my, my hair and she doesn't, I don't speak very good Spanish. Let's go with, I don't speak any Spanish. And she speaks way more English, but not great English. And so she cuts my hair, and we have these very interesting conversations. So 
uh, you know, about the third or fourth time somebody cuts your hair, they're generally going to ask you maybe earlier what you do for a living, right? So I said, what, what I did for a living? She, she said, oh, you're a pastor. She said, you're, she, she, she struggled. She said, you're a shepherd. I said, yeah, I'm a shepherd. Then a little bit long, later, she said, she said, do you have any chips? And I said, I don't, I, mean, I have some chips at my house, Right? <laughs> I said, I, I, don't, I don't know what you're saying. I don't have any, I don't, do you have any chips, she kept saying. Do you have any chips? So she calls somebody else over, and the other person said, yeah, chips. Do you have any chips? And I'm like, I don't know what, what you're talking about. So I realized finally that she was saying, do you have any sheep? Sheeps, right? Sheeps. It didn't work for me, but that's what she was saying. So I said, yeah, I do have chips, and you should come visit us sometime, right? So Jesus says... I am the door of the sheep. And then verse 9, he repeats something similar. He says what? He says, I am the door. The translation makes it clear here that Jesus is making this fairly exclusive statement about himself. He doesn't say, do you notice? He doesn't say, I am a door. He doesn't say, I am one possible door for you to go through. He says, I am the door. And then he goes on to say, if you want to live well, he talks about going out to pasture. What's that about? That's going out and and eating well and, and being well. If you want to eat good, if you want to live good, you have to come through this door. I want everybody to hear this this morning. Jesus says, I am the door. As a shepherd is traveling with his chips... There are distractions along the way. There, there are dangers as they're traveling. There is good stuff to eat, and there is bad stuff that they shouldn't be eating. It, it's not all the same. Things are not just in neutral. There's good stuff, and there's bad stuff. It's not all the same. Turn to someone close to you and say, it's not all the same. Living well can be difficult, and it's hard to tell right from wrong sometimes. It may have never been as hard to tell right from wrong as it is in 2019, discerning what is truth and what is error. Anybody else having a harder time discerning these things? It's just me, right? Everybody's like, no, we're good, pastor. That's on you. I love it when a whole congregation just leaves you out to dry, right? They're like, we're going to let you hang out there. Discerning spiritual things. What is, what is real depth and what is just hype? Right? Discerning what's important. Everyone wants to tell you their thing is most important, right? Everyone wants you to join their cause. We are constantly, as people, being seduced. There are so many options to be entertained, so much shiny stuff to distract us, so many baubles that can catch our attention, but almost none of those things give our life meaning. So you can sink yourself, and we do, we sink ourselves into anything and everything that gets put in front of us, but we end up feeling frustrated. I I hear people say it all the time. They'll they'll say, you know, it just doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what I do just as long as I'm not hurting anyone else. That's all that matters, right? Have you heard this? Everyone seems to like me good enough the way that I am, so why should I worry about it? Why mess with success when everybody likes me so much? But when you spend time reflecting, and that's the season I want to invite you into, there is this gap. And it's not a pleasant gap between your actual self and your desired self. 
This is the reason why this growth track that we're entering into today is so important. Listen, we want more for you who worship here at Broad River Church. We want more for you than for you to just be entertained. This is about more than just finding a place to sing some songs on Sunday and, and be religious. We want to help you move closer and closer to your desired self because there's this gap between. And we live with this tension because of this gap. We try to close the gap. But as I mentioned, our story is not a neutral one. It's contested. And, and our culture that we live in is primarily defined by things like this— about hurrying up. It's about performance. It's, it's, it's about success over anything else. It's about getting those accolades. It's, it's about being recognized in that way. It's about accumulating a certain amount of money. So that's what we're going after, and we're going after it with all of our hearts. And right in the middle of it all, or worse, even at the end, we're left wondering if this is the life that God has in mind for us. Listen, God unquestionably has a certain type of life in mind for you. Jesus says this, verse 10, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Notice he doesn't just say that they may have life, he says life abundantly. So not, he doesn't want to give you just a little taste of the good life, but a whole bunch of the good life. Are you hearing me? And the good life Jesus has in mind for us, it might not match up to some of the things we thought the good life was about, but here's what matters. It directly matches up with this sense of who you always thought you were supposed to be. It's what you've known all along that you were created for. Hear me, Jesus wants you to live your story well. That's the heart of this. As I've been reflecting on my life I've more and more seen this gap emerge between my actual self and my desired self. So, the way that you're shaped, we're told, is, is two ways. How are we shaped as humans? We were shaped by nature and by what else? Nurture, right? So, it's the things that just kind of, they're just kind of part of your DNA. And so I, I have this nature and I'm, I'm kind of aggressive in my personality and I'm very competitive and, and I, I take things really seriously and I, and I, and I, I like to follow through on things. And, and people have called me a bulldog sometimes because I'll grab a hold of something and I'm not going to let go of it. So this is part of my nature. This is part of my personality. And then I have this balancing of my nurture and the way that my parents raised me, and I had wonderful parents, and, and they, they said things like this all over my life from the beginning of time, whatever you want in life, God will help you achieve that. You can do anything. Over and over, I hear this, and I have this positive reinforcement in my life, and, and I'm raised in this very creative household, and so I have this creative bent, and so I learned to play music, and I, and I learned to develop the ability to speak, and so I'm developing into this person where when people look at me from the outside looking in, they might say, man, you, things are going pretty well for you. You're kind of achieving these things, and things are lining up, but when I reflect, there is this gap between my actual self and my desired self. And the gap is made clear when I read God's scripture and I realize that he has placed things out there in front of me. We're going to be looking at these things over the next few weeks. Next week, we're going to be talking, for instance, about blessing and cursing. 
Part of, part of becoming someone who moves from your actual self to your desired self is understanding the importance of blessing and cursing. We're going to be looking at, at that. But I want to invite you in with me to say this. From the pastor on down, God wants to perform a revolution in this church of moving people from their actual selves to their desired selves. Jesus is the door for people to close the gap between their actual self and the self God desires them to be. Here's the exciting thing this morning. That door is available today, and there's no trick that you have to perform to walk through the door. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. We, we live like we have the ability to make our lives good. We live like our destiny is going to be determined by what we can do and by what we can earn. We live lives that are about competition and, and, and comparison and control and complacency and judgment and pride and distraction. This is the way that we live. Does this sound familiar to anybody else? And standing directly opposite those things is another kind of life. Your life is not neutral. There are forces at work. Standing directly opposite that life is a door that is about calling and about compassion and about surrender and about blessing and mercy. Jesus is the door to living that way. and He's making that invitation to all of us. I want to be clear as we move into this series, and I want to invite you back for all of the weeks of this series. I want to be clear that this call is for all of us. So you may be at the beginning of your life. Maybe, maybe for a few here, you're finishing high school and, and you're going on to college and you want to live life well. Maybe you're in the middle of your life and wondering, can I change course at, at this point in my life? Make a correction to the way that you've lived. Or there's some people here that maybe you feel like you're toward the end of your life and you're wondering if there is still hope. Hear me this morning, no matter where you are, I want us to get a vision for this dash. This space between this story that you're living right now and the one that is filled with truth and goodness and beauty and joy. A couple of weeks ago, there was this Holy Spirit moment that happened here where I, I stood in three different spaces on the stage and I, I looked the three different sections in the eye and I said to you, looking in your eyes, I said, you are special. Do you remember this? And not everybody received that. Because there's some of you, when I talk about this kind of life, some, some of you don't think that you'll ever have it. You have convinced yourself that this kind of flourishing, happy life is not for you. You've convinced yourself that you don't deserve it. You've convinced yourself that it's just not in the cards. My prayer as we move through these weeks is that God will expose that lie that you believe about yourself and about your life and about your God. I believe that he'll do that. Our Broad River kids today, I loved it. It was not planned, but they're starting a series week called Made. And it's about discovering who their identity is. So as we're moving in this direction, they're going to be moving with us. No matter where you are on this journey, and I know this includes some people here today, that you're not even sure what you think about Jesus. Maybe you're even less sure about what you think about this whole church thing and about people jumping around and screaming and clapping their hands. I want you to know we're glad that you're here and this is a place that you can belong even before you believe. No matter what stage of life you're in, I want you to see this dash 
in a new way. So that down the road, when you look back at the moments that make up your life, instead of wishing that you had done things differently and having regret, you will realize that you have learned to live life in the way of Jesus. Hear me this morning. It's possible. It's not only possible, I believe that it's likely when we give ourselves to the scripture. Jesus would often use agricultural references to explain what following him would be like. And it was good back in the day for to use agricultural references because everybody got it, right? Everybody understood. It's a little more difficult for us now. But in, in Jesus' day, if you were going to follow a certain rabbi, if you were going to put yourself underneath a certain rabbi's teachings, you would use this phrase. You would say, I'm taking on the yoke of fill in the blank of the name of the rabbi. The idea... In the yoke, as you'll know, is this device that you attach to. It attaches to the oxen so you can, you can plow the field. This is, this is a yoke. The idea was that I am now attached to this teacher. I'm not just saying that this teacher has some good things to say. I am attaching myself to them. I'm not free to just act or live any way I want to. I have a certain type of yoke on me. So Jesus one time was making an invitation to follow him. And he said this in Matthew chapter 11. He said, come to me, all who, are lab- who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Listen, all of us live with a yoke. All of us are attached to a certain way of living. The invitation to follow Jesus isn't about putting something on where you didn't have anything before. You've always had a yoke. You have a yoke right now. We're going to spend a lot of time looking at the different yokes. But Jesus said, here's something different about the yoke that I'm asking you to take on. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He said, I will give you rest. Hear me this morning. The way of Jesus is a way that leads to rest. For some of you, that's the number one thing that you're going to experience as you gather here over the next few weeks and months, a new kind of rest. It's going to be, for some of you, something that you've never experienced before. You're literally going to breathe differently. Because unlike the things that you've been carrying around on you before, this burden is light. It's a new kind of yoke. Next week, as I said, I want to talk to you about cursing and blessing. If you want to close the gap between your actual self and your desired self, you'll need to understand the importance of doing away with cursing in your life. And I'm not talking about using profanity. But doing away with cursing and embracing blessing as a way of life. Would you stand with me today? Just all over this building in this holy moment. All of this building. We just close your eyes. I just want to say a prayer over you. I believe that there are some people that come here today that even as I was talking and kind of given a glimpse into the way of Jesus, you, you would say, you know what? This is a decision that I've never made and, 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 and I want to do it. I want to trust the Lord with my heart. I want to surrender myself to him. I've tried a lot of other things, and those other things haven't worked out exactly like I planned, and I've tried anything and everything, and now I want to come and I want to trust Jesus with my life.
If that's you today and you would just say, you know what, maybe for the first time or maybe rededicating uh, over again, if that's you today and you would say, you know what, I want to trust Jesus with my life in a brand new way with nobody looking around, would you just raise your hands where you are? Raise your hand up. Just leave it up just for a second. Amen. Hands all over this building. Thank you, Jesus. All right, you can put them down. Just repeat this prayer after me. There's nothing magical about this prayer. It's just a prayer that I pray honestly from my spirit, and I want you to follow me in this. Just say this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for your love for me. Thank you for pursuing me. Thank you that I didn't choose you, but you chose me, and you love me. So, Lord, today, I surrender myself to you. I say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Come in and take control. And to the best of my ability, I will follow you with everything that I have. We prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. We just give the Lord praise for that today. Bird.